I want to talk just for a few minutes tonight um, and just give you a little bit of, of what I hope will be encouragement. Um, I kind of wrestled with this what the Lord led me to, but um, whenever the Lord leads you to something, you go with it, right? Um, so I want to talk for a few minutes tonight about two issues that every one of us struggles with. And these two issues tend to go hand in hand. Um, and they not only affect how we pray, but they affect our faith and our relationships and our personal ministry. And they're very subtle in their attack, and yet, to us, they seem legitimate and logical probably 95% of the time. And even knowing the damage that they can do to us, uh, we still uh, feel like they're legitimate. Now, both of them are sourced right in the core of our emotions, uh, and that can make us feel a little defensive, and it can make us sometimes even feel angry when someone tries to help us move past them. But um, they're, they're important issues for us to talk about. And the issues come up with two questions that the Lord loves to answer. We don't want to always want to hear his answers, but he loves to answer them. And his answer to them is wonderful and it's perfect for our lives. So if you have a Bible, take it and turn just for a moment to Exodus chapter 4. I was watching a children's video the other night with my son Matthew. It was called The Ten Commandments. Really good uh, animated video. And as we were watching it, um, it was the part where the Lord calls Moses to leave the desert and go down to take the people out of Egypt. And um, as I watched that, the whole thing, and I've studied that passage many times and taught it, but the whole thing became very clear to me. There's something about seeing it in an animated form that gave it a purity. Have you ever had that experience? Like you've read the Bible stories a hundred times and you've heard them preached about. I shouldn't have taken ice in my mouth. That was bad. Um you know you have a picture in your head of what it looks like. How many have seen, you know, Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments? You know, you, you watch that, you have this picture of Charlton Heston all looking tanned and bronzed and everything, and he's a great Moses. And, you know, this video had Christian Slater as Moses, which kind of was strange to me. But um, just watching it animated and seeing the purity without, like, all the emoting of actors and all the scenery and everything, it was just very basic 2D drawings. But But it was so clear to me. And I looked at it, and I and I understood some new things about Moses. And I looked at these these two issues just kind of came right to the forefront of my mind. The two issues are insecurity and doubt. And it was highlighted by two questions that Moses asked. One is implied, and one is actual. The first question is why me, and the second question is what if. Now we've all asked those questions, right? Why me? And what if, what, Lord, what if, what, what if, what if I lose my job? What if, what if I have a sudden health problem? What if the economy continues to tank? What if Israel and Iran start a war? What if my friends betray me? What if tomorrow it doesn't go the way I thought it would? Even really deeply important subjects like, you know, what if Aaron Rodgers doesn't come back and we gotta play a third string quarterback? I mean, we're always kinda asking what if, right? Because in our insecurity and in our doubt, we kinda say, well, what's gonna happen? Now, if we want to, we can create a lot of doubt and anxiety out of those questions. And we can let those kind of perpetuate and stir in our heart and we can drive ourselves crazy worrying about all the kinds of things that we need to worry about and, and, Many of those things never happen. Many of those things turn out very differently than we thought they would. So 
we don't necessarily have to have something as significant as Moses is going through here and as life-changing as he's dealing with to ask those questions. And those, those questions become even more profound when we feel a little inconvenienced, when undesirable change takes place, or when we face a time of uncertainty and the enemy starts to whisper, the Lord doesn't really care about you, and the Lord isn't going to keep his word to you, and the Lord doesn't really, he's not really sufficient for, to you, and we start to get that into our heads, and we start to wonder, is there something, you know, to his claims? Is there something to what the devil's saying that maybe is legitimate? Now the fact that we ask these questions, and these are reasonable questions, and they're questions we all ask, and we ask them all the time. But the fact that we ask them means that our eyes aren't really fully on the Lord, because they imply some measure of doubt and some measure of distrust in the Lord. And we kind of explain that away. Well, the circumstances are hard, and, and I don't really have the wisdom to know better, and, and I wish the Lord would just respond, and what if this happens, and how am I going to react, and why is the Lord allowing me to go? Th so we get through all this. Now, Moses is at a very interesting time in his life, and you guys know this story well. I don't need to give you a lot of recap. We know that he was in Egypt. We know that he was a member of the palace. We know that he killed somebody in defense of a fellow Jew. We know that he ran away, that he fled into the wilderness, that after Ramses put a hit on his life, and, and then he goes into the wilderness. And Moses' life is divided into three segments, 40, 40, and 40. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years taking Israel from Egypt Back to the promised land. So he's working in 40s. When we get to chapter 4, he's at the end of the second 40. And there's no expectation that we can gather from the text that he has any idea that the Lord is about to call his life to a brand new assignment. The Lord appears to him in a burning bush. The bush, bush isn't consumed. He walks up to it. God speaks to him. And God's message is clear. I'm the Lord. I've heard my people crying in Egypt, and I want you to go down and get them out. And when you go down and get them out, you're going to take them to the land that I promised to Abraham. Now, despite the fact that the wilderness, we know, is the place of testing and the place of training and place of preparation, Moses hasn't seemed to get it, even after 40 years. Because when he gets called into service, he doesn't really have confidence. And this goes beyond... Just apprehension. Well, I don't really want to go back to Egypt. You know, they kind of hate me there. And, and you know, Ramses is still there. And he's not going to like that I'm coming back into town. So, so Lord, I can't. This goes way beyond that. This is a full measure of insecurity and doubt, even though he has the full assurance of the Lord. Now, let's read it. I, I don't want to read all these verses, but I'm going to just because it will give us context. I'll try to be quick here tonight. Verse 1, chapter 4. Moses said, What if they won't believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord hasn't appeared to you. Lord said to him, What's in your hand? And he said, A staff. He said, Throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground. It became a serpent. Moses fled from it. The Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So as he did that, it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. The Lord further said to him, Now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom. When he took it out, it was leprous like snow. He said, put it back in. And when he put it back in and took it out, it was clean. It was restored. He said, if they won't believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they'll believe the witness of the second sign. 
But if they won't believe either of these signs or heed what you say, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground, and the water that you take will become blood. Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, nor neither now nor in time past, nor since you've spoken to your servant, for I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Lord said to him, Who made your mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I, even I. Notice how many times, by the way, as we read, how many times the Lord uses the word I. God rarely talks about himself, but right now there's eyes all over the place and Lord's all over the place. I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you're to say. But he said, please, Lord, send the message by whoever you will. Lord's already trying to do that. The anger of the Lord, verse 14, burned against Moses. He said, is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks fluently. And moreover, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Speak to him, put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, notice again, will be your mouth and his mouth. And I'll teach you what to do. Moreover, he'll speak to you, for you to the people. And will be a mouth to you. And you'll be as God to him. Now take your hand, the staff, and you'll perform these signs. Insecurity is a tricky thing, isn't it? Insecurity is a hidden pride that manifests itself as self-deprecation. We, we feel uncertain, we feel unsure, we feel not confident in ourselves, and the danger of insecurity is that if we continue to hold on to it, it leads to a constant focus on ourselves rather than on our identity and worth as a believer in the Lord. And the devil loves to leverage this. He loves to exploit this. The devil plays a delicate balance with us. On one hand, he tries to stoke our pride and tries to get us to be self-centered because he knows that if we're proud, we're in opposition to God. At the same time he's saying, Rhodes, be proud, he's also trying to tear me down and tell me that I'm worthless. Not for the point of bringing me to repentance, but at the point of saying, I don't like what you're telling me, so I'm going to fight that and I'm going to prove that I'm worth something, which leads leads to what, class? Pride. So he's constantly pushing us, be proud, but you're worthless, but be proud, but you're worthless, for the point of constantly bringing into our life pride, because pride is in opposition to the Lord. Now, the Lord tells us that we have great value, doesn't he? He tells us that we're created in his image after his likeness. He proves that he cares how we live by giving us his word. He, he proves his love and mercy by sending Christ to die for our sins and to rise again. He proves his power and sufficiency to transform our lives. He proves that he wants to guide us by giving us his Holy Spirit. He proves that he cares about us for all eternity by giving us eternal life. He constantly proves and proves and proves. And his valuing of our lives, this is important, means far more than the opinions of jealous people. Now the fascinating thing about this text is that Moses shows here in these verses that he's insecure. But notice, it hit me, first time I've ever seen this in studying this text, is his insecurity is not based on any direct or indirect statements made to him by anybody. Usually when you're insecure, like you're ugly, okay, yes, you're right, I am. That made me feel bad about myself and now I'm a little insecure about how I look. But thank you for the compliment, right? Always somebody being critical where you kind of go, yeah, my sweater's ugly, okay, you don't like my shoes and my hair's stupid and, uh, well, now I just feel dumb, 
because somebody's saying something or there's something that's happening that's causing us to feel bad about ourselves. What's fascinating here is Moses really hasn't had contact with a lot of people for 40 years other than his family. And there's not one statement in chapter 4 where somebody says to him, Moses, you're worthless. Moses, you're a jerk. Moses, you're a lousy leader. Moses, you don't know how to speak. Moses, you don't have any power. Moses, you don't have any... There's not one person. So what does that mean? That means this is projected insecurity. Moses is already starting to place doubt in himself based on what he perceives might happen. Prior to anybody criticizing him, he's already said to himself, I can't do it. And in his objection, and this is what I want to get to tonight, he delineates three areas of insecurity that affect us. Now we're going to look at them in a moment, but but it's important to understand why we need to study these. Because insecurity and doubt rob us of our joy. Insecurity and doubt take our perspective away from the power and the sufficiency and the provision of God and they move us toward our own ability and toward our own understanding. And that's never the right decision, especially for a believer. So let's establish a quick comparison tonight, alright? On one hand, we have three areas of insecurity. On the other hand, we have three solutions from the Lord. And as we do that, we're going to ask three questions that will help us to pray. Okay? Number one, Moses is a classic example of self-focus and lack of confidence. And the first area that he shows this, chapter 3, verse 10, look at it for a second. Moses exhibits personal insecurity. This is why me. So God calls Moses, and the first thing he says is, I have four problems with your calling. First of all, who am I? Second of all, nobody's going to believe me. Third, I can't speak very well. And fourth, I'm not your guy. Now, isn't that great that God has already said to him in advance, You're my guy. I'm calling you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you power. Before Moses says any objections, he says, here's the plan, and you're my guy. And Moses says, no, I'm really not. I don't have the ability. I don't have any confidence. Nobody will believe me. I, I don't know. Well, Lord, I, just, I can't do this. And God says, I'm going to make it abundantly clear. I will do this. I'm giving you the power to do this. I want you to be the face of what I'm going to do, and I'm going to lead you to how you're going to do it. But instead, here's what Moses does. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. He focuses on himself. And he says, I don't have any ability to do this, even though God's already told him. Then we get to the second thing, chapter 4, verse 1, where Moses exhibits relational insecurity. This is where we get to the actual what if. Well, Lord, if I go back to Egypt, you remember how I left, and you remember that they're pretty ticked off at me there, and the Jews don't like me because they think I left them, and the Egyptians don't like me because Ramses wants to kill me, and he threatened to kill me before I left, and if I go back, they're going to try to kill me again. I won't even get in the door, Lord, because I, 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 I he starts to stutter. I can't do this. And then we get to the third thing, chapter 4, verse 13, and he has situational insecurity. He's full of fear and anxiety simply because the circumstances demand it. And he, he starts to say, well, they're not going to listen to me. I'm going to go in there, I'm going to say, let my people go. 
Why would Ramses do that? Why would Ramses for a second listen to me and let the people go? So Moses, through three types of insecurity, has built up the argument in his own mind that there is no way this is going to work. There's no way people are going to listen to him. There's no way he's worth enough. There's no way he has the ability to do it. There's no way this is going to have any success. And Lord, as he says in chapter 4 and verse 13, you need to find somebody else. Lord, you, you, I love the phrase. He says, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. And I think God's sitting there going, I already did. I already told you who I want. I want you. But Moses is still fighting. Now, how does the Lord deal with our insecurity? How does the Lord deal with our doubt? Let's look at three things we're going to pray. First of all, chapter 3, verse 2, chapter 4, verses 2 to 9. Look how the Lord responds. God personally allows Moses to experience three miracles. He gives him the burning bush. He gives him the staff that turns into a snake. He gives him the hand that turns into leprosy. And then he adds a bonus miracle and he says, if none of those things work and you don't believe and they don't believe, take some water out of the Nile and pour it out on the ground and it will turn into blood. And then people will believe. Now I don't know about you, but I don't see a lot of miracles like this in my own life. I haven't thrown down a stick recently and had it turned into a, a viper. I haven't put my hand in my coat, and I really don't want to. That's why I didn't wear a coat tonight, so I wouldn't have to try this. I, I don't want to put my hand in here and pull it out and have it be leprosy. I haven't seen that kind of stuff. So you say, well, all right, that was great in Moses' time, but how do we know God's got that kind of power in our lives? Well, because we read about it. Because we know that God did these things, and we know, as we've looked at our own lives, that there is time after time after time after time where God has worked and shown His power and greatness in our lives. And the question that came to me as I looked at that was, what do I have more confidence in, my own inadequacy or the power of God? Where do I find my strength? Is it in the fact that I don't think I can do it? Or is it in the fact that God has absolute power? And the question then becomes, since the Lord can do anything, and since the Lord is willing to help us, then why would we ever doubt in His provision? Because if we really believe God is all-powerful, and we really believe God is willing to help us, then just in its purest sense, it is illogical to doubt God. I'm a person of logic. I like thinking logically. So if God is powerful and is willing to help, then if I doubt that, it makes no sense. What will make sense is to trust Him because He's already proven Himself powerful and willing. And that starts to cut down then on some of the personal insecurity because I don't know about you, but I got lots of personal insecurity. How can I do this? Am I good enough? Do I know how to lead? Will people listen? Can I witness to people? Am I confident? I mean, go down the list. Make a list tonight of your insecurities. It'll depress you. But if God's powerful and He's willing to help us and He says, I'll be with you, then what are we insecure about? Second thing. For relational insecurity, God gives us His Word. And this is very powerful in verses 2-9. to nine. Because Israel's resistance is going to be solved, excuse me, Egypt's resistance is going to be solved by God's deliverance. 
And God says to Moses, stop making it about yourself. See, Moses is fearful that when he goes to talk to the people of Israel, they'll say, you loser, you left us. Why did you do that? We're not going to follow you. And then when he goes into the palace in Egypt, Pharaoh's going to say, you're nothing to me. Get out of my palace. So from a relational standpoint, Moses says, I don't know what to do. And God says, here's the first thing you do. Stop making it about you. Not about you. This is about me. And you're going to go in there with my word. You see, deflecting away from self has a powerful way of getting people to pay attention. The problem is when we get into relational insecurity, what do we usually do? We usually, in a very weird way, make it more about ourselves. Well, why don't people like me? Or what can I do? Or how can I influence them? Or how can I make them like me more? And God says, this is not the point. Draw them toward me and trust me. Notice what he says in chapter 3, verse 12. He says, I'll be with you. That's all we need to know. If you have conflict with somebody, then ask the Lord to help you. Now you're like, Paul, come on. I came all the way out tonight for Christianity 101. If you have a problem, ask the Lord to help you. Yeah, you did. It's exactly why we're here. Because how often do we forget that? How often when we have a problem, do we try to find a solution rather than saying, Best thing I can do is go straight to the Lord. Lord, that person doesn't like me. I need to I need to ask you for help. I need you to break both our hearts and I need you to restore this relationship. See, Israel probably wasn't going to believe him, but God says, listen, my word is powerful. And when we have the word and the promises of the Lord, we have to be completely confident in him. One more thought and we'll pray. Situational insecurity. Moses, go. Lord, I can't. Why, Moses? Because uh, nobody listened to me. I can't speak very well. They, they don't like me. I don't have any confidence. I'm old. I'm 80. Why, why would anybody use me? Lord, I'm the wrong person. You need somebody else. Here's how God deals with our situational insecurity. Because there are times when we feel, I don't know, I don't know what to do. God responds to that by reminding us of His calling. I want you to listen real carefully here. Two more minutes. Nothing the Lord does is accidental. And everywhere He places us is for a purpose. Wherever you are tomorrow is for a purpose. And there is an opportunity there for the Lord to work. He's putting you in situations and putting me in situations where we can stand for Him and declare His greatness and talk about Him and defend Him. Even something like a website for international language that turns into an opportunity for us to send a Bible tonight for somebody in Pakistan. Okay, Danny wasn't in that situation by accident. That that wasn't just, oh, I think, I'll, I think I'll start a conversation with a Pakistani guy. That was the Lord. The Lord gave her a calling, and the Lord gives you and I a calling. So when he calls Moses to go to Egypt, this is not accidental. Hey, I couldn't find anybody else. I was wandering around the wilderness, and I saw your fire, and I thought, hey, I think I'll have some fun. I'll make a burning bush and send you. No, Moses had an end to the palace. He could walk right into Ramses because they grew up together. And guess what? His brother, brother was still there. 
And the people that were his people that he didn't know about at first now would listen to him and God would use him to go down and do these plagues so that people would then repent and they would send Israel out and Israel would go to the promised land like God had promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. This is not accidental. God had a calling on him. And when we get into situations where we feel insecure or we're, we're uncertain or, or we don't have any power, God says, remember that I have put you in this place on assignment. Tomorrow, you've got an assignment. in multiple assignments. Wherever you go, God has put you there for a reason, for a purpose. And he will provide everything that you need to fulfill that assignment. Now, if we go into that with insecurity, well, Lord, I don't, you know, I couldn't possibly start a conversation with somebody about the Lord. I bet when Dandy started that conversation with the guy in Pakistan, she wasn't thinking, I'm going to come out and share the gospel with this guy and send him a Bible. But how quickly it moved into that. And now there's joy and there's confidence. And we're praying for this guy. This guy's going to get saved. We're, we're going to, his son's going to get saved. And then we're going to start to rejoice and say, this is what God has called us to. Because when God gives us an assignment, it is joyful. Moses in chapter 4 is hesitant. By the time he gets to Pharaoh's palace, he says, Pharaoh, and he throws down that snake, and the other magicians throw down their snakes, and his snake eats their snake. And he says, let my people go. And when Pharaoh keeps resisting and God keeps sending plays, Moses keeps on, let my people go. And finally, when they kill the firstborn, it's time, let my people go. And he leads them into the wilderness. And he's the only one, other than Joshua and Caleb, that stays faithful. Because he fulfilled his assignment. What calling is God giving you? The devil's going to fight it. The devil's going to try to create insecurity. The devil's going to say, you're not good enough. You can't do it. You're not capable. Nobody will listen to you. You're not good looking enough. You're not attractive enough. You don't have enough clout. You don't have a position. You know, those are all lies. devil's a liar. He's a liar. And he's an accuser. God says, I'll be with you. I'll help you. And I have a plan. I know what I'm doing. Now trust me. Let's close our eyes. Lord, we ask you to help us tonight. You've brought each of us here for a reason. Lord, I thank you that you have brought us here tonight. And Lord, we pray now, despite all the insecurities, all the fears, all the hesitations that we all feel in our hearts, Lord, I've got plenty tonight, that we would move forward confidently, knowing that you are with us. You never leave us. You've equipped us with all we need pertaining to life and godliness. You've given us a commission to minister to people. You've given us a calling to preach the gospel to people. And Lord, tomorrow and the next day, you're going to put us in positions where we can fulfill our assignment for you. And Lord, I pray you would give us boldness. And I pray that we would not listen to the lies that the enemy tells us that we can't do it. Because, Lord, while we're all inadequate because of our sin, you say, you're my children, and you have my spirit indwelling in you. Now go do the work. And, Lord, I pray for fruit. 
over the next four days till we meet again in this building, I pray you would give us fruitful conversations and fruitful ministry to people that we'd be able to come back Sunday and say, you know what? What we studied Wednesday night, I saw it happen. Lord, we ask you for that. We ask you for people that we can influence over the next four days and that you'll give us confidence and strength to do that. Lord, we pray this confidently because we've seen it from your text tonight. And we know that your spirit empowers us and equips us to do the work of ministry. So Lord, help me, help my brothers and sisters here tonight. May we go tonight with great confidence and great strength at what you're going to do. And we'll praise you and honor you for what you're going to do in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here tonight. I know it's an extra sacrifice for you. And I hope it encourages you each week. Say hi to somebody before you go. Okay, don't just shuffle out. But let's have some fellowship. And let's really be in prayer, okay? I I, just, I feel so burdened about this guy. Let's really be in prayer for Hassan, okay? Put his name on your fridge or on your mirror or something. Every time you look at it, pray for him. Because that Bible's going out now. That's the word of the Lord going to Pakistan to bless this guy's life. So let's be in prayer for him. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight.